Lymphoma Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support. Hello and welcome to the Lymphoma Hub Podcast. Today we'll be hearing from Ulrich Jaeger from Medical University of Vienna in Austria. Hello everybody, my name is Uli Jaeger from the Medical University of Vienna. Uh, happy also to be a member of the Lymphoma Hub and I'm also coordinating the Austrian Cell Network. Our topic today is uh, regarding the factors that should be considered when we are deciding uh, whether we um, get a patient referred for CAR T-cell therapy or uh, how to select patients for this therapy. I think it's clear for us that um, CAR T-cells are extremely effective in in the um, approved setting, uh, they will probably be more effective in, in other treatment uh, lines. And uh, when talking about the aggressive B-cell lymphomas at this point, um, we, we know that there is a long-term disease control of about 40, in some cases, up to 45%. And uh, that, of course, also tells us that half of the patients um, do not appropriately uh, have a long-term response. And we are dealing with uh, therapies um, that, that do have some side effects. And, um, of course, also we are dealing with uh, expensive therapies. So I think there is, from my point of view, some uh, need for selection. Regarding the referral, uh, we, of course, are happy to um, consider, in principle, every patient uh, for the uh, approved indications um, who is uh, beyond uh, second uh, line of treatment. Um, in some cases, uh, it, uh, for us, it may be even more useful as cardiacal treating and treatment centers uh, to see or to hear about patients when uh, they do not respond to first-line therapy. Th those are high-risk patients, and we can uh, sometimes be of help in deciding um, the next line of treatment before these patients uh, really get cut these cells. Uh, I'm referring, uh, for instance, um, to therapies that are uh, T-cell toxic, like uh, uh, bendamastin-containing regimens, etc., cetera, uh, that we want to avoid before we harvest T-cells. Uh, on the other hand, of course, um, there are uh, a number of factors that are related um, uh, to the prediction of response and to patient outcome. And uh, we do know that uh, comorbidities uh, play a role and the echo performance status uh, plays a role. However, um, we have to say that uh, this is much less of a problem uh, when compared to autologous stem cell transplant. So, uh, so I think those are relative contraindications and uh, some people would certainly um, accept patients with an ECOG status of two, if particularly if the ECOG status is related to the lymphoma. In, in our algorithm in Austria, we, we would uh, rather go for ECOG status uh, zero or one, but uh, this discussion is in uh, flux. Then there are uh, 
factors uh, which are related to the disease. That's the the, um, the relapse or refractory status. Uh, the French group has very nicely shown that uh, tumor burden and extra nodal sites um, uh, play an important role and that you can even uh, construct a prognostic index uh, using those two factors uh, where you can uh, predict uh, for a good response or poor response. LDH is such a factor and the histological subtype. And in one of the posters that uh, we have shown for the Juliet investigators uh, at IHA, uh, we could show that when you combine LDH and uh, the MIC expression in the tumor, um, then you can define a subset of patients with uh, low LDH or normal LDH and uh, low MIC expression less than 40% in the tumor uh, who has a long-term disease control of uh, up to 75%. Then there are treatment-related uh, factors, um, particularly the prior lines of and type of therapy. That, that's what I referred um, to a bit earlier. So send us the patients uh, early. Uh, bridging therapy and uh, the type of lymphodepletion uh, could play a role. And then there are, there are factors which have not been uh, well explored. That's, for instance, the quantity and quality of leukopherist T cells, um, referring to the product or to, uh, to the um, uh, number of exhausted T cells in the pharesis. And, uh, and then there will be a lot of uh, biomarkers related to the microenvironment, which will uh, come up in the near future. And there are, um, of course, uh, also um, colleagues uh, who uh, stand for the philosophy that we should include into cartesian therapies as many patients as possible, uh, not uh, selecting not too much. And uh, that, of course, also has some advantages because even in the poor prognostic or poor predictive uh, subgroups, uh, there um, is um, one third of patients who uh, are said to have a poor outcome, but in the end uh, still profit uh, with long-term control from CAR T cells. That's been nicely shown um, by the Descartes uh, study. On, uh, on the other hand, the discard study showed that um, selection will bring the advantage, appropriate selection will bring the advantage that uh, the long-term control numbers uh, are, are high. And uh, that, of course, uh, will also um, um, avoid unnecessary treatment of patients who will not respond. And, and it's also good for the field in a way that um, the referring colleagues can see that uh, we are using the resources wisely and that um, uh, patients uh, that patients can profit uh, with long-term control up to 50% uh, on the long run. So um, two different ways to think about it, um, maximal selection versus um, no selection at all. Um, I think the, the best way to proceed will probably be somewhere in the middle. And uh, of course, we, uh, we are um, getting more and more information on predictive factors. Thank you for listening to the Lymphoma Hub podcast. We would also like to thank our supporters, Bristol Myers Squibb, Genentech, Insight, Roche and Novartis. Lymphoma Hub podcasts. 
Brought to you by Scientific Education Support.